0: Hand that made all the, earth... the nations drank her wine. Therefore the nations are deranged. And then in verse 8, and we'll stop for a moment. Babylon was suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. Tonight I want to talk to you about the judgment of God. And I want to talk to you about how God's people are to view judgment. Because I think most of us, if we're honest, there are times when we can be very merciful, right? We want mercy when it is us that is on the receiving end of mercy. We want mercy when it is on our children, on our grandchildren. As an American, I pray that God would have mercy on our country. But tonight I want you to know is, There are times when God eventually says, enough is enough, and judgment is coming. You can read through the Old Testament and see the times that God has brought judgment. But in Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter, God begins to talk to Ezekiel and give him this understanding about judgment and how God views judgment and the responsibility that you and I have, and Ezekiel specifically, about being the watchman for Israel. And tonight I want you to think about it like this. And you say, well, Jake, I don't understand quite how it ties together, but I'll tie it up in the end. That as a pastor, I have been given the privilege of being the under-shepherd to Jesus here. It's my job to feed the sheep. It's my job to pray for you. It's my job to help disciple you. It's my job to help equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. As a father, it has been given to me, regardless of what the world says, the privilege of being the under-shepherd or the watchman for my family. It's my responsibility to make sure that my home is in order. It's not the government's job. It's not my wife's job. She's a part of the process. And the Bible says submit to each other, and then you know the rest of it. And I won't even quote it for the stoning that I'll receive later, but you know what it says. And there's an order to that. And tonight I want you to hear how God describes this responsibility as a watchman. Because tonight I want you to know something that God will not spare His judgment because you and I think we are bigger than the judgment of God. As a family, my family can fall under the judgment of God just like any family can. My life can fall under the judgment of God just like anyone else's can. And you say, well, Jake, I'm saved. The judgment of God does not apply to me. You're right on an eternal seeing Right? Once you are saved and forgiven, the, the judgment of hell and damnation is off the table. But God can still correct or allow things to come into our life that turn our attention back to Him. You've probably read in the Bible of generational sin. It's an issue that one generation struggles with and the next generation embraces and, and it just it's generational sin. You've probably heard his sermons or hopefully read about breaking generational sin. And so tonight I really want to talk to you about this because all of chapter 50 and all of chapter 51 are about the judgment of God. And you've read it and, and you've seen it that God's going to destroy them, God's going to wipe them out. It, it's just it's there. And I want you to read that when you get home. I want you to study it and I want you to pray that, that God would work and move in the lives of other people but tonight I want to show you that God gave them warning after warning after warning after warning. And when we know what has happened, then we have to look back and what? Evaluate everything. I wish that I knew the future, but I do not. I wish I could go back 10 years and do so many things different as a pastor. I wish I could go back 12 and a half years in our marriage and do things differently I wish I could do that but I what? I can't I wish I knew the decisions I was making today what the outcomes would be the decisions we're making as a family the decisions we're praying as as a as a couple but I don't but what we have here in the book of Jeremiah is we have seen the end result this is the judgment in verse 52 chapter 52 like I said it's just a review of all that has happened. And you can learn so much from that. But what tonight I want to show you is how to see the warning signs that God gives you and I to avoid this judgment. And that comes from Ezekiel the 33rd chapter. You see Ezekiel, and I'll just read this to you from the the front of my Bible uh, uh, commentary here because it's just a really good explanation. Ezekiel, the son of Bazai, was among the approximate 10,000 citizens of Judah deported to Babylon when King Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Jerusalem. His prophetic call came to him five years later, the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile in 593. He received his call at the age of 30, the year he should have begun his duties as a priest. And so the prophet lived during the greatest crisis in Israel's history, the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple, plus the exile of Judah's leading citizens to Babylon. And so in this, he has been called to continue to preach, to continue to warn, to continue to be the watchman. And in verse 33, chapter 33, God begins to speak to him. And so tonight you say, Jake, I'm not the pastor of this church. It's not my responsibility. You say, I'm not a husband. It's not my responsibility. But I want you to know tonight, it doesn't matter where you at or where your sphere of influence is, God has put you in someone's life to be that person that warns them, that tries to show them what the Word says. And so starting in chapter 33, starting in verse 1, I want us just to walk through this and see it together. Again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory, and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet... And warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save. His life. I want to show you tonight that your first responsibility as a Christian, your first responsibility for wherever God has put you to be a person who warns. If you're taking notes tonight, you can write that down, or you don't have to, to be a person who warns. You say, Well, Jake, does that mean I need to get a cardboard box, let my beard grow out, wear the dirtiest clothes I can find, and stand on the street corner and warn that God's judgment is coming? Maybe God calls you to that. I have no idea. But most likely that is not what God's going to call you to do. But what He is going to call you to do is warn the people that God brings into your life. Did you not notice that in verse uh, 1 and 2? It says, Son of man, speak to the children of your people. Now, most likely He's not talking to about little children, but He is talking about the generations that are there that would have encompassed old people, middle-aged people, young people. If you remember, though, that the people who were taken away originally were prestigious. They were wealthy. They were educated. They were the skilled individuals. So He is warning the best of the best that Son of Man, warn them. Warn them that there is coming judgment. And tonight I want you to think about this because I think it is something that all of us struggle with. You say, not me, Jake. I don't struggle with that. That's okay. You can lie to yourself. You can tell you what you want. But the idea of the people we love falling under the judgment of God is something most of us just glaze over. We think about it, but we don't want to think about it too much. But we have to get back to believing that the judgment of God is no respecter of persons. That God's judgment will fall. And the only thing that covers someone from judgment, especially in the sense of salvation, is what? The blood of Jesus Christ. And we are being pressured from all sides, whether it is the media, whether it is liberal groups of Christians, to compromise on this belief that Jesus Christ is truly the only way to heaven. It looks like this sometimes. And I'm going to just get specific tonight, and if I offend you, I am terribly sorry. That is not my intent. There is a humongous organization that calls themselves Christians in Utah, but they do not believe in the biblical version of Jesus. They do not believe that Jesus is who the Bible says He is. They have different beliefs about His birth. They have different beliefs about His life. They have different beliefs about this issue that is uncompromisable. And you say, Jake, but they're good people. They're moral people. They think like us. They talk like us. They, they have a, a more of a desire to reach people than we do. But friends, none of those covers you and I from the judgment of God. It is what Jesus said. You must be born again. We are even seeing this in churches that have the name Christian on them. That this idea that salvation is something that comes from Jesus, but you also must be, what? Baptized to go to heaven. You have to have a spiritual cleansing and you have to have a physical cleansing. But yet the Bible says you are saved not by works. But what are you and I saved by? Grace. Grace. And so if my righteousness is filthy rags, if I tell people that you can go to heaven by being baptized or taking the Lord's Supper or being a member of a church or giving enough money, I have failed to warn. And you say, Jake, but I work with people and they're good people and they're nice people and, and, and why can't we get along? At a funeral today. I have a funeral tomorrow. I sit with a lady this week whose husband died that is not going to be having a funeral. And what I can tell you is this. If you've ever been in a room with someone who takes their last breath, it is one of the most humbling things that can ever happen to you. Because you realize, just like that, you'll be standing before God. And in that moment, it is something that God has had to show me. I've been in the room 39 times now when someone is taking their last breath. And I can tell you there is a difference when a non-believer takes their last breath. And Brother Keith could testify to this as a nurse and working. It's just different. There is a difference. And tonight I want you to hear this because all of the stuff that we make important in that moment will not what? It won't matter. It won't matter if you were a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal. It won't matter if you're Catholic or non. It will matter about one thing. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Has He become the Lord and Savior of your life? And I ask you that tonight for this simple reason. If that is the only thing that matters, how much time do we spend warning people or encouraging them that that should be what's matter. Because look what it says there. And this is talking about, in this sense, this is talking about national warning and it is talking about them warning the nation and the sin of the nation. And that's absolutely the context, but it is absolutely applicable to us as individuals. Because look what it says there in verse 5. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon his own Above himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. It is not my job to save people from their sins. It's not your job to save people from their sins. You were not big enough to hang on the cross and take the sins of the world, and neither was I. But I am big enough to tell you, Josh, I love you. I care about you. What is your relationship like with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I. Uh, So I did a funeral today, and so you'll hear a lot about funerals probably, but the gravesite is something that always is so sombering to me. And I think I used the right word. Because you look around and realize what? Either we're right, and there is hope, or the world is right, and that is it. That's it. Ninety-one years old is how old the gentleman's funeral I was today. He was healthy, he was active, that's about all you can ask for. 91 years old, going where you want to do, doing what you want to do, still in your right mind. But friends, if the gospel is not true and there is no heaven and there is no hell, that's it. Decay. Back to the dirt. Nothing. The love, the joy, the relationships, all that God has blessed us with is nothing. But yet if the Bible is true, the Bible says absent from the body is present with the Lord but the Bible also says that Jesus will tell you well done my good and or you will hear what? Depart depart from me you see if we really believe that tonight and this is my challenge to you are you willing to be a watchman? are you willing to warn the people you love the most and then the decisions on them I uh I uh, have a lot of pastor friends, and I have a lot of kids that are pastor's kids. Or I have a lot of... I do have a lot of kids that are pastor's kids, yes. Yes, but I only have six, and we're not having another one. If you were in Sunday night service and heard me repeatedly say seven, all right? We only have six. Lord, please leave it there. But but I, I cannot begin to tell you the amount of pastors children that I talked to that we never read the Bible as a family we never prayed together we never talked about God we talked about God on the way to church all the way home from church while we were at church but there was no warning at home and so tonight dads I want to specifically talk to you it is not enough to be a good example it is not enough to come to church I believe the greatest problem our churches have is that men have refused to lead their families the way that they're supposed to. Right? You can get women to do all kinds of stuff at church, but men are like, That's exactly the opposite. I want my girls to see that their future husbands someday love the church. They don't just go to church. They want to be involved in doing what God is doing, not just going because their wives nag them to death. And so that's what we see here. And, and then it just doesn't stop there. It's got to be a watchman at home. You have to be willing. And I understand life is busy. And I, lo- I know the days of everybody sitting down at 5 o'clock and having family devotion. And, and, and everybody's that's probably over. But yet you can have it in the morning. You can talk with your kids as you go. That's why Deuteronomy 6 says, right, you should write it on the doorpost. You should talk about it while you rise, while you sleep, while you go, while you come. Why? Because I love Jesus Christ so much, and you should love Jesus Christ so much that He is shaping the way you think, the way you talk, the way you live, and out of the overflow of that relationship with Him, you are able to talk to your children. When someone cuts you off in traffic, and you don't curse, and you don't swear, and you say, I'm going to pray for them, and your kids go, That's not the same parent I lived with a month ago, you could say, You're right. But I'm not going to let my anger, I'm not going to let my sin control me. Because why? I'm saved. And the Spirit of God's working in me. And He's dealing with me and He's changing me. And so tonight I really want you to hear this warning that the watchman has a responsibility. Not to save, not even to deliver, but to what? To warn. Thoughts tonight? I'm really fired up, so I will talk the whole time. So you really... You really need to speak up. All right. The second thing I want you to see is the warning for a watchman who doesn't do their job. The warning for a watchman who doesn't do their job. Look what it says in verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, And the sword comes and takes any person from among them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked... O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, don't miss this, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered... Your soul. He is not talking about that if you will just talk about Jesus, that you will be spared. But he's talking about here about the responsibility that you've been given. You see, the relationship that you have with Jesus is because of He first loving you. The Bible says that, right? We love Him because He first loved us. That Christ died for the ungodly. But outside of the relationship, there is a responsibility. God has called each and every one of you to do certain things. Some of you, he has given you specific gifts. I always get a kick out of this. And I, like I said, I have no problem offending all of you tonight. So, um, but how some of you have been given a gift to sing. And you might say you don't sing well. I don't care. You're lying to yourself. You can take it up with the Lord, all right? Boy, we'd love to have you sing in a choir, and choirs are based on the fact that we're all going to be sitting around the the throne of heaven singing together, so hence, choir in heaven, choir here, kind of a, you know, anyway, that's another sermon for another day. We'd love to have you sing, I don't sing, I don't. So what you're saying is God gave you a gift, but yet he made a mistake. You say, well, that's, that's not fair, Jake. Well, that'd be like me saying, yes, God, I know that you've called me to preach, I know that you've called me to be 10 miles pastor, but I just don't want to do it. How many of you just got on me in April when I said that? Well, we're praying, Jake, that that's not what you do. Well, now I'm praying the same way for you. Because you might think that my gift's not as important. What God's asked me to do is not as important. But if God has equipped you and God has called you and God has made it so that you can, guess what you should do? You should do. And so I really want you to hear this tonight because God has given you the privilege and just like he had given Ezekiel the privilege to be Israel's watchman, God has put you where you are for that same purpose. You say, well, Jake, I, you know, I, I try to be a good husband, but my wife is a miserable person to live with. and She don't listen and, and she won't follow. Look up here. It's not your job to make your wife obey. And wives, it's not your job to nag your husbands into doing. It is your job to warn It's your job to pray. It's your job to stand in the gap. What does the Bible say about wives who love God and husbands who don't? That some of them will be what? Through the influence of their wife. I can't hear you. I'm deaf, remember? Saved. Not all of them it says. But yet if someone in your home won't be who God wants them to be, that is not what depends on me. You say, well, Jake, my husband doesn't want to come to church. My wife doesn't want to come to church. So I'm not going to come to church. What happens is this. The one person who said they wouldn't has said, I don't want to be the watchman. And then you have said, I want to be the watchman, but I want. But I'm not going to be. And so tonight I really want you to hear this and this warning because the judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is going to come. But look what it says in those verses, though that it says that if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way he shall die in his iniquity but you have delivered your soul you have done what god asked you to do and think about that today the bible says if you know to do good and do not do it it is what it's sin He didn't say, if you know to do godly things, or great things, or amazing things. He says, if you know to do good. If you know this is something God would want for you, if you know this is something that God has equipped you to do, if you know that it's something the Bible has told you to do, there is no excuse. Because look what it says in verse 10. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel... Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, and this is a key verse I want you to hear tonight, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? If that is God's heart for the wicked, it should be our heart for the wicked. You say, Jake, why do I have to warn the people that I'm closest to? Don't you know that they might not want to speak to me anymore? You don't understand that might cause problems for me anymore? That it might not be as easy as you think it is? Because God takes no pleasure and the death of the wicked. And that should be our desire. We don't want God's judgment to Saul and another family. I've pastored long enough and dealt with people long enough that I have seen numerous people rejoice when bad things happen to other people. I mean, it's just, that's the truth. And there have been some times in my life that guess what I've done? I've tried to celebrate when bad things happen to people. You say, Jack, I can't believe you just said that. I'm just the only honest one up here. Now it's not something that I rejoice in and God has always, He has always convicted me when I've been happy that His judgment fell on someone else. Because guess what? I don't know if it's God's judgment. It might look like judgment but God might be working things out for the betterment. God might be doing this or that which I look at as judgment and God is using it as a pruning moment. God is using it as a molding moment. I love when the Bible talks about the potter and the clay and, and, and how God is at work and moving. And, but I don't want to do pottery and clay. I love to read about it because it's beautiful. It's, and when it gets done, it's amazing. And, and in our house, it's broken, but, uh, but it's a beautiful thing. But I have no desire to sit down on the potter's wheel. I have no desire to watch it splash all over me and mold and shape and the frustration of it not going where it's supposed to be and and making sure the temperature is right and the speed is right and the pressure is right. I have no idea how that works. Friends, that's the same way you and I should view how God is working. We have no idea. His ways are what? Higher than ours. And so what we look like is God's judgment on someone might just be Him putting pressure on them so that they grow. How many times in your life, and you don't have to raise your hand tonight, did you feel God was judging you? And then once you got through the trial, you realized that God was shaping you. You say, Jacob, I didn't think I could make it through that trial. I didn't think I could make it without that relationship. I didn't think I was going to survive that. But now that I'm through it and I'm looking back at it, God was with me in every step of the way. And I would not be who I am today if God hadn't taken me through that. You see, we are quick to say, well, that's got to be God's judgment. That's got to be God's wrath. That's got to be God's, God's judgment. But yet God... Works in different ways. And so tonight I want you to hear this. If you feel like God is judging you, He might be. Because most people are like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Look up here. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us can have unforgiveness in our heart. All of us can have doubt and unbelief. All of us can be there. And so could God be judging you in the moment, correcting you? Absolutely. But God could be allowing what is going on in your life just like he did with Job. I'm going to be honest with you. When I read Job, it just overwhelms me. Because one, I think, God, you're the one that mentioned to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I'd be like, leave me out of it. But God says, have you considered my servant? Not once, but then again. And so tonight, I want you to know that God might be working in your life today. He might be removing people from your life. He might be bringing people into your life that are difficult. He might be allowing you to go through challenging circumstances and situations because God might be wanting you to be the watchman for someone in the future, but He's training you today. You see, Ezekiel could not have been Israel's watchman if he hadn't first been taken as a slave. Don't miss that. That was really good. And I don't say very many good things, all right? Ezekiel wouldn't have been where he was, when he was, doing what God asked him to do unless he first had been taken into slavery. And so many times, let's be honest tonight, not that you're not usually honest, but you're like me. I can't believe this is happening. God, why did that happen? Why did that person say that about me? Why did I get that diagnosis? Why did that happen? What is going on here? Lord, this isn't right. This isn't fair. And what you don't know is you have no idea where God is trying to put you and for what purpose He's putting you there. You don't know. I never would have dreamed that I would be your pastor. And some of you are saying, I would dream that you weren't and I would wake up and it was a dream, but... But yet God moved and worked in ways that I was not willing to move. I mean, God had to literally push us, force us. And then even still I wouldn't go. And so God pushed her. And as most good husbands, when she went, I went. Because, right, it's better to be happy than it is to be right. And, uh, but that's just a joke. At least one person understands what it's like. But I want you to see this. Because tonight, so many times, we are angry with God for what we've gone through, what we've struggled with, what's overwhelmed us. But yet God has given us the responsibility of being a watchman because God loves people. Just read that verse with me one more time tonight. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Think about that. Thoughts? Questions?
1: Absolutely.
0: Other thoughts? Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Other thoughts? What's the thing about warning people? You know, if you don't know somebody and, and they warn you a lot of times, you treat that as a story of And And most generally you don't get it. It doesn't work. But if you do it in love and you have proven love in the past, that warning, they treat that as though you truly love them and you don't want to see them. Absolutely. So so it's building up that. It's more than just warning somebody, it's doing it. I have to remind the kids and occasionally other people in my family it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Yeah. I'm not very good at that either sometimes. Mm -hmm. I saw a. Absolutely. I saw a thing the other day in a classroom that I was at, and it said, um, uh, no one wants to be taught by people that don't like them. No one wants to take instructions from people that they don't like or that they don't like them. And so I think that we see here that God has called Ezekiel to do this. And so God has him where he is supposed to be. But I also want to show you, though, that it says here that each person has to make that decision. Look what it says in verses 12. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. If if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, He shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him and has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Now don't miss this in verse 17. Yet the children of your people say, The word of the Lord is not fair. But it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does that, what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say, the word of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. Now I want to give you some context here. The Jewish people were baking, not baking, banking, on God's love and God's blessings because of what had been done in the past. They were God's people. They were chosen by God. They could do what they want, how they wanted, when they wanted, because they were Israel. They had the temple. They had all of this history with God. And what God says is, all that don't matter. That can't be what you're trusting in. Think about Nineveh in the book of Jonah. God sent him to a what? A wicked city. And the wicked city repented, turned from their sins, and God spared them of judgment. And what he's saying here is that you and I have to have a relationship with Jesus. Now we know that this is an Old Testament speaking to a nation. How do we apply it in a New Testament context without being a twisting of the Scripture? One we have to know that our relationship with Jesus is not something that we pray at an altar at five years old, get up and live however we want, do whatever we want, say whatever we want, and then when someone asks us if there's any fruit to our salvation, we say, well, I said a prayer when I was at Vacation Bible School 39 years ago, and that's it, right? How many people have you met someone like that? I've done funerals for people like that. I done one uh, just a few months ago, and, and uh, I went to the family's house, and and uh, the individual was getting very close to dying. And my re- my request was, uh, are they saved? I have, do you have you talked to them about their relationship with the Lord? And, and can I go in and talk to them? And and uh, they said, well, actually, they're already they've already been drugged up. They're already in hospice. They're already you know at that point where they're sleeping all the time. And this was the answer. They made a decision when they were seven. I won't tell you what church is because it might give it away and I would never want to embarrass anyone. I said, tell me about their relationship with the Lord for the last 84 years. There wasn't one. Now, could that have person been truly saved? I am not the judger of souls. All right? That is above my pay grade. But what I can tell you is I do not want my children when God takes me home to wonder, there was no fruit. I mean, there's plenty of things that I've done in my life that my kids know that I'm a sinner saved by God's grace. But will they question? Will they be able to say, well, yeah, Dad, uh, Dad was, was a praying man, and he was a man who talked about his relationship with Jesus, and, and uh, he was trying to live out his faith, and, and he was willing to ask for forgiveness when he, when he fell short, and and he was trying to teach us about Jesus. And well, uh, What will be your testimony? Because not only will your testimony be about your warning your children, but it will be what they watch in your life. And so you say, well, Jake, my kids are grown and I didn't do that. Now I'm feeling guilty because you're talking about this and, and I'm not going to listen to you. Look up here. If God has allowed you to live today... I thought, man, that pizza really bothered somebody. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, if the rapture happens, I hope you're all going with us. But, um, but think about that just for a moment tonight because now I don't know where I was going. Um, someone tell me what I was saying. You don't even know where I was going. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I know that's where I was going, but I don't know where I was at. Or that's where I was at, but I don't know where I was going. Uh, I hate hanging out with old people all the time. This happens. Yeah.
1: that are true. That's mm-hmm. great. But really, it's that it's that relationship of redemption and, and repentance. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. You know, that's the one that I would want my kids to remember. And I, I think this is where I, I think I'm getting you on track. If if your kids are older, ah, that's it. Time, you yeah. You have time that yeah. God's given you to, uh, to do what, what you have
0: mm-hmm. time left to do. Yeah. It. That's exactly where I was going with that.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Greg, did you throw your hand up back there or were you stretching? That was it. Oh, you were going to tell me where I was at? Thank you. But but I I hear that from parents all the time. The guilt of not being the, the parent that God wanted them to be, whether one, they were not saved when their kids were little, or two, God had not really been at work in their lives, will sometimes hinder them from like I'm not going to talk to my grown kids about the Lord now. I'm not going to try to, because, you know, they know how I was and what I did and, and how am I supposed to, that's where humility comes in. I wasn't the parent that I should have been, but I want to tell you what God's done in my life. That's all you can do. It starts right there. And I'm going to pray for you. I love you. And that's it. But so many times we won't, don't want to admit what we've done or your failures that we've had, And that's where it gets into trouble, right? If I started preaching to you about the importance of eating healthy and exercising, and I haven't started to eat healthy or exercise, you would be like, who do you think you are? And as a parent, if I try to give my children marital advice or relationship advice or advice about God, and they have watched me not have a relationship with God, that is one of the most detrimental things we can do. Now, you knew I had, to, I had to wade into some politics before it was over tonight, but I saw a c- congresswoman who always says people should wear masks, who said today that the only reason I'm wearing my mask is because there is a Republican news person following me around. But if they weren't here, I wouldn't have it on. You see the problem with that? It's the mindset that I will live my life however I want but I expect you to live yours differently. And parents, that is the greatest damage you can do to your children. It's the greatest damage we can do as a church by telling the world they need to repent, they need to live for the Lord, but yet us do the same things that we've told them not to. It has been in Republican parties. How many times did Newt Gingrich get up and talk about restoring America and the commitment with America and the contract with America, and he's running around on his wife numerous times. You see, so it doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if it's rich or poor. It has to be the first thing that you believe that God has called you to a purpose, whether it's your children, whether it's your family, whether it's whatever God's called you to do, and you have to believe that God will use you